Officer down! I repeat, Officer down! Welcome back to 1033. This is your host, Nathan Kapler. A podcast created for a first responder by a first responder. If you are not a first responder, you still are welcome. This podcast is aimed directly at trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD is complex and often misunderstood. Our brave men and women who serve our communities often end up with behavioral and psychological issues as a result of experienced trauma from their careers. My goal is to share what I know, my personal experience with PTSD as a retired police officer, and continue to advocate for mental health while providing support to those still in their careers. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical help, and I strongly suggest if you are in fact suffering, you seek out professional medical advice. Please join me on this episode as I continue to expose the reality of PTSD challenges. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to 1033. Today we are joined by Reg LaViolette. He is a registered nurse out of Alberta, and he has over 17 years of registered nurse experience as a forensic nurse in a psychiatric ward. Now, he has also gone through enough in life, trauma, hardship. He is now at a point where he is now realized that he has need to make a shift for himself, for his own health. And he has transitioned out of that role. And he is now a mental health therapist, still a registered nurse, just banging the drum somewhere else. Reg, I wanted to welcome you to the show today and thank you for your own service in this space. Thank you for having me. I'm doing very, very well today, actually. Awesome to hear. So a quick picture of how you and I are connected. Uh, We're connected through family. You're actually married to one of my relatives and I've known you for a few years. So over that time, I think we've both seen each other in different roles, uh, go through enough in life. And we've kind of both seen each other at moments where life hasn't been going so great for us. And I I fall on that sword for, for one, for sure. I can remember the conversation we had a few years ago when I was going through, uh, active addiction, wasn't doing well. And yeah, there was some concern that I could tell. Uh, and it doesn't really click until later on until you hit sobriety. But I appreciate that love, right, that you gave me in that moment, yeah. uh, you and your partner. Um, so but needless to say, the tables then turned as I started to go through my own venture and start to heal and find my own place and, and work on the PTSD and heal all that stuff that I had been through with policing. I started to reach out to you and I started to see you two were beginning to go through something and you were starting to open up and talk about it, uh, which is incredibly hard as a man because most men do not want to talk about the stuff they go through there for whatever reason, right? Whatever reason we have. But before we dive into this whole conversation, I'm absolutely excited for it. I want to learn a little bit about how you got in to the field of being a registered nurse and what led you to this place of let's get into psychiatric work as a forensic nurse. Well, I mean, um, quite honestly, I, I started out just as, as your typical, you know, 18 year old graduating, all that kind of, of, of commonalities and such. And, you know, I, I worked a lot of retail commercial type jobs and I just never found any type of, um, you know, holism or, 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 you know, feeling good about it. And, and I kind of came to the, to the realization that the humanitarian aspect of things is, is where I, I belong. Um, so I did a lot of researching in that area and um, I kind of found that, um, you know, I tried humane society. I was an ambulance rescue driver for a while for animals. Uh, I uh, went into uh, EMT around 2000, see if that was, that was my gig. And then fortunately for me, um, registered nursing came up in 2001. I applied and was accepted. And that's just basically the, the start of, of where things are for me at that point. Now, obviously, you you go from caring about others, you find this this passion, this connectedness, this humanitarianism kind of role that you're drawn to. Uh, what were some of the challenges as a man coming into the role of a nursing environment? Uh, were there <laughs> any were there any issues with stigma perception? Why are you here? 
100%. I mean, that, that was one of the biggest things that I actually endured all throughout my nursing career was, uh, number one, this is a female-dominated industry. And we were told pretty much every every month of how it was supposed to be that way. And I mean, we were at some points chastised for being a male in, into the in, into the uh, the career aspect of it. But I did persevere through, managed to get my degree, and uh, I continued on with a very very successful, in, in my opinion, successful career so far. So good for you. You endured some of the potentially sanctuary trauma that may have existed in the workplace, right? And that's unfortunately kind of uh, a common theme for a lot of people that when they get into a workplace, for a nurse, for example, as a man, there's a lot of friction against why are, why are you here? What are you doing in this female dominated uh, workplace? Uh, so I was always kind of curious, I've never asked you, but I was always kind of curious to see how that started off. And I don't know if that was an impact to uh, maybe the shaky foundation of how things got started for you or not, or how you've kind of reflected on that. But do you want to take a moment just to kind of look at that real quick? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't feel that that really had any impact on me at the time. I think I was very confident in what I was doing. And I mean, I think I had a enough life experience to understand where it was coming from. So I did not take it personally uh, uh, whatsoever. I, you know, I, I did have to go up against a few uh, um, uh, professors that um, were trying to not make me pass type thing. And, and I, I was, you know, vindicated with within the the uh the governing areas and such uh but again that that i really don't find too traumatizing on me whatsoever i kind of accepted it as that's just them they need to grow up and i go on and i've, I've got what i need so i mean yeah I, I don't feel that that was any 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 you know compounding issue on on, on what happened to me very healthy perspective to have. Uh, and that's kind of that old guard mentality that hopefully over time is going to change. I don't know if things have changed or if you can put a finger on the pulse to say that people, men that are going through this now don't experience that as much. Uh, but let's hopefully say that it's moving in the right direction. Now for you, as you get into, so you get your registered nurse, your, I guess, license or your, your academia behind you. License, how do you yeah. get in? How did you get into forensic psychiatry? Well, surprisingly, in my last year's rotation, I was actually scheduled at uh, Alberta Hospital Edmonton, which was um, the psychiatric hospital for for uh, um, uh, Ed, uh, well, the Edmonton area and such. And they really appreciated my my presence there and the way I, I conducted myself. And as soon as they uh, heard that I was graduating, they offered me a position. So I wasn't originally in forensics at that time. I was actually in general psych. And when I did hire on, they said my, my you know, uh, characteristics would be best suited in the forensic setting. Do you want to explain kind of what those characteristics may have been? I think it's my overall demeanor and probably my size for one. Um, it's a little bit of a rough area, um, a lot more intensity when it comes to personalities, comes to uh, severities of, of, of psychosis, things like that. And I think my mentality plus my physicality had a lot to do with them thinking that I would be a, a, a more acceptable candidate for over there. Let's paint a picture as to your physicality, because I'm looking at you right now and you are not a small man. So no. if I was up against you and I've, I've sat in a room with you, uh, you command a little bit of respect just because of the, the person that you are physically. You're also into competing, bodybuilding, all of these different things. So let's just paint a quick picture as, as to kind of what you're using in your life also to help you with your mental health. Um, you know, that, that's been one of the biggest things and, and, and but my greatest strengths for myself is, is my, my training and my bodybuilding and such. I mean, I've had a kind of a diverse athletic, athletic kind of background, uh, when it comes to strength training, um, you know, a lot of bodybuilding, right. When I started from when I was 11 years old, I've gotten into powerlifting. I've been doing strongman competitions and now I've kind of trying to, you know, trying to transgress into a, a bodybuilding type. Uh, a format because I am older and those sports are very, very <laughs> taxing on your body for sure. Um, but yeah, I just uh, competed on the 25th of um, July 
and uh, did not do so well, but at least I completed it and, and it is the usual type of, of presentation and I'm very happy with what I've got and I, I continue on and maintain it. I mean, it, it, it is a source of strength for me. It keeps me going. It's my, it's my church, if you want to you know, call it that, and it just keeps me grounded in everyday life. And sorry, I apologize. I shouldn't actually said that you use it for your mental health. I should have <laughs> not gone that far to paint that picture because it was a bit of a loaded assumption. But uh, I think, and maybe we've had enough conversations over the past that I've kind of drawn out of enough of an assumption that's led me to the point that you probably do use it as a, an iron church or a way to work out some of the the hard things that we can go through. Is that true? Absolutely, hundred percent. It, it it is personal. It's for you, and it's only for you. And the, and the only one you're 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 fighting against there is yourself. So, absolutely, going and going through and challenging yourself and going through some of the hard things in life is is very much uh, juice that's worth worth the squeeze. Uh, and that's something I've learned that uh, even in my own experience, if I chase comfort, comfort doesn't always lead you to the best place. Chasing discomfort actually tends to do the best for you. Uh, so you've got to kind of understand where that is and where you need to go with it. Now, the the position itself at work, what did some of the trauma look like that you started to go through? Oh, um, you know, it, 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 it first starts off with a lot of verbalization of threats, death threats, harm, um, a lot of, a lot of swear words, a lot of, you know, accusations, uh, those types of things. And it, and it progresses step by step by step as you get more ingrained into the role. Um, I mean, how many times that I've been hit, punched, kicked and stabbed. I mean, I can't count anymore. It's just a continuous thing that happened throughout the first, you know, several years of my career. Uh, not only because it's, it, it's a, a stressful and, and, and very violent environment. It's because my navigation skills at that point were not, you know, fine tuned so that I could navigate it properly. So yeah, there's a lot more in the beginning. And as you get older, you get a little bit more versed and how to deal with things and it does decrease with that you know knowledge base but it is still there it still happens and it just continues on in in, in, in whatever respects it needs to at that point in time your resiliency to the trauma as it began uh i'm going to i'm going to assume here at least have a thought that it probably impacted you probably on a subconscious level to some degree, but consciously you probably had enough strength to work through kind of why these things happen. Didn't victimize yourself. Uh, did that story shift over time? No, no. I mean, that that's exactly what it was. I mean, I understand why these patients are there. I understand that these things are going to happen. I mean, I've accepted that possibility by even walking into that facility so to take things personally as in they're they're coming after me because it's specifically me that's a fallacy and you're just going to run yourself into the ground that way the the reality is is that i put myself there this is what i what what, what i need to take and what i need to accept for being there and doing what i can for best for them but i think that the biggest thing for me was that through that realization i started to glorify my actions because I think that was a, a coping mechanism for me to kind of evade the trauma that I did endure. So I, I justified it through that. I glorified it through that. And that actually helped, you know, helped me get through a lot of years of heavy duty violence. Yeah. What do you mean by glorified your actions? You know, I, 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 you know, when you have your, your, um, year after discussions after an incident happens and then you you kind of debrief and you talk and you know you say well that was that was a good move this was a great thing this was fantastic and i i was able to do this and everything that i did was fantastic i mean you just glorified it to the point where you know you've vindicated whatever situation happened in there so that you could be a positive note and not a negative note so what you know now if you were to go back to those moments, how would you handle it now? Oh, dear Lord, 100% differently. Like, I mean, being so, so new and, and, and 
you know, the terminology green to the situation. I mean, I, I am actually a little bit uh, saddened about what I had to go through to get to this point. I, I think that that was something that one, as, as, as a nurse, we should have never been expected to do, you know, um, and that there was a lot better methodologies that are, are here now that can be utilized in, in this, in these incidences for sure. So, yeah, I, I am saddened that I went through it. I am, you know, it's mixed feelings right now um, because I am who I am today because of it, no matter what I've endured, whatever I've, whatever I've gone through, I'm stronger now for it, but I could have gotten stronger in a more healthy way. That actually hits me like a ton of bricks. I actually have a bit of a tear in my eye because I can too relate to my own journey uh, in policing where a lot of the trauma that I went through, we had those fireside chats afterwards of, hey, great tackle, you know, like great takedown or, you know, great job on not shooting that guy. That guy had a knife in his hand and, you know, we never talked about the trauma though. We never talked about the, you know, how did that impact you? What was the emotional range that you experienced as a result of the trauma you just went through? We didn't have those questions. We didn't have that dialogue. So it's not until later when you fall apart and you look back and you go, man, I, I sucked at that. I totally <laughs> sucked at that. Like, I wish I would have done it a different way. I wouldn't have glorified the, you know, the actions that I used to take that person down. This is the human experience. You go through so much in that moment and we only focus on one aspect of it. You can you can talk about and celebrate the good that happened from that moment through the physicality, the actions that you took. But don't forget, you also have a ton of emotions behind you that you also need to acknowledge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and working as, a, as like a first responder in nursing, in policing or anything, that ability to show that needs to be put back because you've got a job to do. And until that job's done, that emotionality and that, and that realism can't be there because it's going to interrupt what you need to do. And that's another part of what, what keeps the, the cycle going negatively. It's the, the inability to release that emotion, to actually express yourself in, in that emotional way that you need to do to heal. And it's just not there. We actually get in our own way of processing the trauma, the healing that needs to happen. And for whatever reason this is, take it from two men who have been through it. If you're doing it this way right now, stop, do it differently. Uh, and I love that part about you, Reg, is now that you've kind of understood this. And this is a very deep lesson that you, unfortunately, for many of us, don't really realize until down the road. And knowledge is such a wonderful thing, but I mean, it can come from hard lessons. So for you, the person that you were prior to the trauma and then now going through the trauma and then now seeing the impacts of the trauma, and I'm going to venture out to say there probably wasn't one incident that led you down to the path of, okay, now I'm really starting to break. It was probably accumulation of all of these different events. Uh, paint a picture of kind of now that you can reflect back to the person that you were and how that transgression happened, what that looked like. Well, I mean, when I started to really realize that there was, you know, something that that was deep inside of me needing to get out and it was causing a lot of, of distress um, in me emotionally in, in my home with my wife and even in my work, um, you know, I, I think it, it was just at a confusing point because I didn't understand what was going on. And I just regressed back to this vacuous emotionless robot that just did what he needed to do as he see has, has been doing for the past many years and kind of was like stuck in limbo for, for many, many, many years. Um, and I think what, what, what really, really, um, you know, broke the, the, the camel's back with me was uh, unfortunately this whole episode with COVID uh, where we got a lot more restrictions put on us, a lot more restrictions put on our patients. And it was up for us to do more for the patients to keep them sane. I mean, we've got, you know, you know, 20 bed unit that's locked up, can't go outside, can't go to the gym, can't do anything. So we've got to, you know, formulate some type of plan to keep these patients sane so that they don't erupt. And just the continuous 
uh, attempts to plan activities, do everything else, um, and, and just try to, you know, accommodate all these needs just completely burnt me out to the point where I, I just couldn't go on. Like I was, I was so broken, you can put it, is that I would walk into work, I would set up my desk and I honestly, I just had a, a you know, the F this attitude and I just didn't care. I couldn't do any more. So you're I mean, at I, your limit. I, I was done. I was done. There was nothing more for me to do. I mean, I, I, could, I couldn't help staff. I couldn't help patients. I, I honestly, it was just, just very, very. And I mean, coming from somebody who is, a, who wants to be humanitarian, who wants to do things, who needs to feel that type of, 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 of action to, to fulfill themselves and you can't do it or you're not doing it. That in itself is, is such a chaotic pattern. It's, it's unbelievable. Absolutely. One thing that didn't happen is you were not diagnosed with PTSD. You did have some symptoms and we're now kind of entering into, I think the realization that compassion fatigue, compassion depletion now was something that was becoming a part of your story. Yeah. What was that like for you? You talked about how you were able to go into work, but you just couldn't give anything of yourself and you had this negative attitude and you naturally tried to push people away because you just couldn't give more. And that's a very natural response in the human experience when you hit compassion fatigue. And I don't think there's a lot of shame around uh, necessarily what you went through, but if we understand it, it all makes sense. You 17 years of doing this, then going through COVID and having extra layers of all of this stuff. I, I think most nurses uh, went through hell. I would agree with that for sure. Absolutely. And, and I don't know the stats on how many of them are leaving right now, but there has to be massive compassion burnout uh, issues. So the compassion depletion, we painted a quick picture of kind of what that looked like at work. What did that look like outside of work? Well, you know, and that, that was the part that was really suffering because I think my work had the best of me, but the rest of the world didn't because, you know, I had to perform, I had to do my duties, you know, I have to do what I need to do. So you put your best foot forward there, but when you're not in that environment and you're in your own space, I mean, I was withdrawn. I was, again, emotionless. I would actually go to the gym. I would train and then sit in my car for hours before going home. Then I'd go home and, you know, I mean, my wife and I, we'd have a small discussion and she would, you know, ask if I was even paying attention, but I was sitting there, I was paying attention, but I just could not bring myself to have any type of emotional response and be truly engaged. It just, I just didn't have the capacity and it was just causing you know, and I could see it and I could see it getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was like, this has got this, there's something that's wrong. And I didn't know at that point in time what it was. I just, I was very confused and I was just figuring, okay, I just need to regress. I need to figure this out myself, but I couldn't, I just kept on going down and down the spiral until I called you. The, thank you. Thank you for calling me. Uh, I, you're a very intelligent person when it comes to mental health. Like in order to become a registered nurse, uh, you have to have a certain level of experience and knowledge about mental health. You then go on to become a forensic. Uh, I'm going to mess this up already, but you get into the forensic psych psychiatric ward uh, yeah. and you're now working with people who are just on this different level and have just such different needs. Uh, from my own experience too, I, I've been there. I worked as a, I don't even know if you know this. I worked as a security guard in Grey Nuns, Edmonton. Uh, and we were often down at the at the ward uh, many, many times. So I got a taste of what that world is like, right? And some of the, the wild stories that happened down there. <laughs> Painting a picture of the intelligence that you have in the, in the mental health aspect, but then realizing later on in life when you're going through this struggle and there probably was a moment in there where you couldn't necessarily even help yourself. Very true. Tell, I, tell uh, me about how frustrating and how foggy that place was. You know, it, I didn't even think about that until afterwards. But I mean, during that time, I can actually, you know, be very sympathetic to, to what my patients go through. Because quite honestly, you're at a complete loss. You, you have no control of your thoughts. You have no control of your direction. 
you're just trying to, you know, get yourself out of the quicksand. So, I mean, you, 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 your foot goes in, you take a move this way, your, your other foot goes in, you take a move that way. It just seems to compound and compound and compound to the point where you don't have any options, but to be reactionary. And, and that will never get you out of a good situation like this. I mean, and that, and that was the biggest point where, where I was, you know, I sat in my truck for like four hours, frozen truck on just, couldn't move, didn't know where to go. I was completely lost. Like I had, I had nothing left. I had no thought process of, Hey, why don't you just take a breath and go get a pop or something like that. Didn't even have that. Cause all I could, all I could do was I need help. I need help. I'm completely lost. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just amazing how strong the reactions that you you do and don't have in these situations affect you completely during that entire time leading up to that point was there ever a thought that you should be going and getting help you know i mean <laughs> i i don't know if it, if it was just me saying it subconsciously and it would come out but i mean i always told my wife I, i'm probably going to have ptsd at some point I'm probably going to, and I've been saying that to her for years, but I never really, you know, thought it would happen because I was in that frame of mind where, Hey, everything's good. Everything's fine. This is perfect. Keep on going forward until that point. So, I mean, it was quite the eye opener that I was actually forecasting the, the reality that I'm going to have PTSD. So I had that subconsciously in my head that it's coming, but I just never comprehended and accepted it. Absolutely. How could it not for the environment that you're in? Well, especially having to go back day after day after day. I mean, they're, they're, the shift work that you're doing is unbelievable. You really don't have a personal life uh, with, with most nursing positions. So, I mean, you, you never have the time to really decompress and, and get a hold of yourself as we all dictate and teach to our patients. <laughs> we just don't have it. <laughs> so. Yeah, what we preach is never what we follow. Exactly. When, when you hit that place, when you're finally in your truck now, you're there for four hours and you just cannot go further. You are struggling to even find a way out of the quicksand. Uh, how, how do you, how do you move from that place? What's the next step? How did you even, what was the thought process then? You know, at that time I, I had conversations with my wife um, and it seemed to be getting more and more and more. And I think that kind of was brought back up into my memory of, of, you know, our, our conversations. And I'm thinking to myself, how can this help me? How, how if I'm thinking about these conversations I had with my wife, how can this help me get out of this situation? Cause I couldn't even call her at the time. I was just like, what, what am I going to say? What is she going to do type thing? You know? Um, and then just, of course, one of the memories was, was like, you know, Hey, my cousin Nathan, he went through this and he's got a podcast and he's got this. And I'm like, well, that's about the best avenue that I've got right now. And that's when I gave you a text and thank God you answered. <laughs> the point that you were at, were you able to have any kind of thought or thought process around, I need to step forward and go get professional help? Uh I, I think I was coming to that conclusion. I think at that point where I was there, I was just like, I need somebody to pull me out right now because I'm just going down. Um, I just needed that, that lifeline to give me some grounding so that I could actually, you know, get stabilized and go, okay, this is not as bad as it really is. Let's, let's get some professional help and stuff. And yes, I mean, as soon as, as soon as that grounding did happen, I was the phone, I was on the phone with my, my counseling services and getting set up. The interesting thing too, is when we fall apart and I had a very similar experience, uh, I ended up actually going to, so in 2014, I think I was diagnosed. Yeah, I was diagnosed with PTSD, but I also much like you told myself, it's not that bad, but it was. 
It was horrible. So, and the options that were in front of me were like, you can take door A or door B. And door A was like, and this was after quite a few years now of actual psychologist therapy work. And you have to get to even a place where you're ready to walk into a psychologist office and lay it all on the table. (laughs) Very hard to do. Now, fast forward to where things are continuing to get worse and not better. And they say, do you want to go to the operational stress injury clinic as an outpatient? Come check in once in a while, we'll help you out. Or do you want to go to rehab? You can still go to rehab as a, with sobriety under your belt. Uh, because there are trauma programs out there designed specifically for trauma and not necessarily addiction. There's also trauma and addiction as well. Yes. So police officers and I mean, anybody in the first responder world, and it's a great tool, trust me, Absolutely. To go to rehab, to have six weeks or whatever it is to dive into, what does your trauma really look like? Uh, Because my world was totally blown apart. But where I'm going with this was, I only wanted to take a small step each time. Yeah. In that mental health process when things weren't well. I didn't want to overextend and really go to rehab for six weeks, right? So I told myself these lies of, ah, you know, I got a wife at home or whatever the case is. What are the people going to think at work if I go away for six weeks? And you'd, you'd spin this narrative. So... And again, there's no shame in it. And I'm glad you reached out to me for one. Uh, And I'm not entirely shocked you didn't go further on that first step because a lot of times that's how we do it. It's a very normal process. We kind of just take that first step because that's all we can do. We can't really take a whole bunch of steps out at first. So in that moment, you reach out, we connect. And are you okay to talk about how that conversation went? Absolutely, absolutely. How did it look like on your end? You know, it, it was quite the eye opener. And I mean, you know, we, we, we were chatting back and forth and some of the things that you were, you were asking me was, was honestly right on the button. And, you know, my emotions, I just could not hold them. I just could not hold them. I'm sitting outside my gym in my truck and I am just bawling like, my God. And, and quite honestly, that felt so good. Like I was like, this is good. Oh my God. This, this is what I need to get, get off my chest. This is, this is what I need. Keep going, keep going. And, and actually that, that's what it was able to, you know, let me put my foot off the brake, put it in gear and get home and, and go talk to my wife. And I mean, I went right home and I just let her know everything. I opened up completely and I said, okay, it's time for me to get help. So. When you bottle up your emotions for years. And I mean, now, now that you can look back and say, okay, I bottled up my emotions for at least 17 years. Have you looked at, you know, some of the childhood experiences that may have happened? And we're not going to dive into what happened in your childhood, but have you been able to look back even further beyond the career to see if that also was something that you went through uh, in your earlier years? 100%. I mean, when I went through my therapy and I'm still currently doing monthly therapy with, with, with my, my psychologist, um, you know, it actually, you know, everything stems back to pretty much this one incident that I can relax when I was eight years old. So that incident um, kind of set me on this path of holding in my emotions, accepting things the way they are, continuing on in a fashion and not, you know, fully realizing the impact that it had emotionally on me. So and that, and that that's what's kept me going in, in that fashion up until now. That's recovery, brother. Way to yeah. go. I'm proud of you. I'm very proud of you. It, it's been, it's been a fantastic journey, actually. Um, you know, even though I've, I've went through the trauma, I've went through this, this negative vacuous blackness. I am so happy that I did and that I've got out of it. And now I can utilize this to help others who are, are there as well. And that's one of the reasons why, again, my career needed to change. I needed to get out of that stressful, violent environment and get into somewhere where I can actually do one-on-one therapy with people and help them through their issues, just like you guys did with me. Yeah, and and the beautiful part of your story is you... Like many of us, we go through something in life and there, there, again, there's two doors in this, this journey. You can either continue to suffer from this and never come out. And I know quite a few people that do, and that's entirely okay. That's their call. Uh, I've tried to help them. They've tried to go for help. They're, they're just not ready for whatever reason. And that's fine. You now take this different turn where you take this experience. You're continuing to do the therapy. You're continuing to stay fully connected to what you've gone through, but you've now started to set up, you know, some boundaries around 
okay, I need to realize here kind of what's really causing me to, to be this way, emotionally shut down all the trauma that I'm going through. And one of the things I remember when I was talking to you was you at first really struggled with stepping away with being a forensic or sorry, a registered nurse in the forensic psych. Help, help me out. Psychiatry. Psych, thank you. Psychiatry. It's not a hard word. Uh, but you really struggled with it. Do you want to talk about the fear of leaving that, that comfort or whatever you want to call it? Absolutely. I mean, it becomes ingrained in you. It becomes somewhat of your identity in, in a sense, because you get, I mean, that, with the glorification, everything else, the reputation that happens, you know, and, and you start to feel like you're responsible to maintain a certain balance in that area. And stepping away you'll feel like you'll be disappointing people. You'll be letting people down. You'll be, you know, uh, um, you know, abandoning what it is that, 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 you know, constitutes that, that area. And, you know, that actually, that, that, that thought process kept me there probably six or seven years longer than what I should have. Because I mean, I mean, every few years I was thinking to myself, it's time for me to go somewhere else, learn something new, but no, it always drives me back. I need to be there. This is, this is where I belong, all that kind of stuff. And it just further progressed that thought pattern. I'm going to dive back here to the moment where you finally have a bit of an emotional breakthrough and you're able to kind of open up the floodgates a bit and let the emotion out. And I mean, it just comes out in this mass of tears and just uh, probably a whole plethora of emotions. You probably didn't just feel one in that moment. And that's kind of what happens right when the floodgates open up. From there, how how have you maintained the ability to stay connected with with yourself and the emotions? And has it been a struggle to stay connected? You know, it, at times it has because you know I haven't you know taken the time to really dive into myself. You know, like taking some time, like two three weeks, going to a retreat or something like that, which you know, I, I, I am planning on doing, I really do want to do that. Um, again, it's, it's, it's that, you know, good versus evil type thing. Can I do it? Should I do it? You know, I got all these responsibilities and I've got to navigate that appropriately. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's something that, you know, if, if you don't be mindful of, um, you really, really can get lost back in your protective mode. That's for sure. It's, it's, it's happened to me a few times. I'll be like, you know, I'll be going for a week straight. I'll be going, you know, everything's fine. Everything's good. And all of a sudden I'll get that feeling right here in, in, in my stomach. And I'm like, all of a sudden I have to stop and say, what, why is that feeling there? And all of a sudden it just comes right back. Okay. Got to remind myself, got to be insightful. This I'm still going through something right now and you can't ignore it. You have to keep going. And so it's a day-to-day thing that you have to keep going on or you can get lost and go right back into that negative cycle and be lost in that, that vacuous void of, of depression. And that's, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture here of what the cure looks like. The cure doesn't just happen to you. You're fixed and you get to go on your merry way back to the themes that you've held for years. You've actually now have to challenge yourself to do life differently. So I'm glad that you're challenging yourself uh, to do it differently and, and be a lot more open about, you know, the emotions that happen within again, very much the human experience. How, how have things improved now as a result to this shift of how you approach uh, life for yourself? You know, I, I think the biggest thing for me is my connection with my wife has strengthened immensely. Um, you know, I think before there was a disconnect, most likely because of me. Um, but now, right now, like we, we are on par with things, you know, we, there, there, there's no doubts whatsoever between us. Um, we open up, we express everything. We let each other know exactly what's going on. And, and, and I find that so healthy. It's, 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 it's amazing. And that, and that has progressed everywhere else where, I mean, my home life is, is, is pretty much stress-free. So wherever I go, if there's stress, I'm like, okay, I can handle this. This is no big deal. Cause I've got that base foundation. And, and that, that was, that was the, the biggest important thing for me to realize is that my home life is so important to me that that's where I truly need to focus in on to keep myself healthy in other areas as well. 
You find there's an issue in the relationship now that you're moving forward and you're being more expressive uh, emotionally that there are times with your partner, because I go through this all the time, uh, where they're not totally prepared to meet this new side of you and this new side that's constantly coming out now. And I mean, it's very much an ebb and flow where now your partner may actually have to learn that they are actually married to someone that has a very complex emotional range uh, and that there's the emotions there. So have you seen any kind of challenges there with, uh, I'll call it partnership at home? Um, You know, I, I think we had our most complexities is when I was in the the, the, the negative thought space. Um, what I see now is that there, there is a new relationship that's developed, but it's the, every time like there, there's bumps and grinds, but it always develops in a positive way because you make it that way, right? No matter what, there's always going to be bumps. There's going to be always ups and downs. I mean, that's a normal relationship. It's how you solve it and it's solved through, you know, give and take, um, you know, pure, you know, truth, truthful, you know, uh, uh, transparent emotions, all those kind of things and coming to, to a positive resolution that benefits both. And as long as that, that is the, the format that it goes, it should always progress positively. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a new me and it's a new us, but it's a positive one so far. And how was work when you stepped forward? And said, I, I need help or I need a shift in what I'm doing here. Yeah. Um, there was, it, it was mixed for sure. I think people realized where I was emotionally. They realized that, you know, where I, where I was, was not a healthy uh, presentation. Um, but they were very, very upset to see me go because I think they, you know, I, I've been a staple there for, for a number of years. Um, you know, my rapport with the patients, I think was, was very, very, very beneficial. And, um, you know, they, they, they kind of were like my second family because that's, you know, I spent six days a week with them. Right. I mean, Monday through Sunday, basically I was there. Um, I spent more time with them than I did at home. So, I mean, you know, that relationship, it had its strains and pains. I don't think anybody was, was, uh, you know, angry or, or resentful or anything, but there was a lot of sadness for sure. And, and that, and that, that took its toll on me as well, but it was something that no matter what I know I needed to, to go. And how has the transition transition been in this new role for, for you as a mental health therapist? Um, you know, again, I'm still working the bugs out. It's only been a month now that I've been into it. Uh, it seems really positive. I think I'm getting my groove uh, with the new formats, policies, procedures, the computer programs and such. Um, but I, but I feel a positive change for sure. And I'm actually looking forward to the next few months in developing better skills and being more, um, proficient at what I do for sure. Now, and again, you touched on this earlier on, this is something that I know for you probably is going to be a part of the chapter in this, this chapter that you're in right now when you sit down with people that, I mean, cause you're in the mental health uh, therapy field now, your ability to connect with a patient. I'd love to hear kind of your perception on that now as a result of what you've been through. Yeah. I mean, it, it actually has helped me quite a bit because, you know, with, with the modalities that we need to utilize to actually help people, we have to really concentrate on the patient themselves. So, I mean, whatever extenuating circumstances are surrounding the patient, that's really not the issue to focus in on. The focusing in on, again, was what's happening with the patient, what's the emotional aspect, just like I experienced myself. I was sitting in the truck. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. What do I need to do to walk forward? So I can utilize that experience and understanding where they are so that I can pinpoint their emotions in that respect, let, get them be insightful in it and get them to take that first step so that they can continue to help themselves. And that's the biggest key to, to any type of therapy. Your perception now on mental health uh, and possibly where where we need to go in society or some of the, the tools or tips or tricks that you've learned from this process. I mean, you've, you've learned so much, I can tell just from the words you use uh, as we connect here. But if you were to give some type of roadmap for people 
that have to go through this struggle. Because I mean, and we all go through it. I don't think uh, life without it would actually be life. But if you're to give a roadmap to people to say, hey, I mean, this is this is how uh, my experience can help you. What is one of the big takeaways for you from everything you've been through and something that you you look to give to people that may be going through something similar as you? You know, I think the biggest takeaway in this was that it's one of the things that I said most about my whole situation was that here I was, registered nurse, mental health therapist, giving all these people advice, helping them through it, but yet I didn't help myself, right? I didn't take myself into uh, into the primary concern. And it's like the old adage, you can't save somebody if you're drowning yourself, right? You've got to save yourself first. And that's the biggest message I'll say for any of them right now. So no matter what circumstances are around you, no matter what's going on, you've got to do a base check and make sure that you're safe. And if you're safe, then everything is fine and you can get through it. The self-care routine that you now use in your life, what does that look like? Um, it's, um, there, there's a few, few actions that I do more now, um, especially for, for my, my mental clarity and stuff. Um, I'll get up in the morning and I love to take about a half an hour and go sit out on the deck and just listen. I'll grab a coffee, I'll grab whatever I need to in the morning, and I'll just listen. You know, I'll have the dog beside me, and she's just happy as they got, but I'll just have that that kind of reflective meditating experience. I mean, I still go to the gym. That's that, that's that That'll never stop. I'll be doing that until I'm 80 years old. That's just the way. That's just ingrained into me. But at night when I come home, I really don't want to put the TV on. I don't want to be distracted by things. I just want everything peaceful so that I can actually internally reflect. So again, I mean, if it's busy around the house, you know, I'll probably go upstairs into the bedroom and, and do some stuff and just, you know, keep to myself or I'll go back out onto the deck and just completely breathe and just listen, listen to myself, listen to the trees, listen to everything else and just, you know, internalize what's going on, how I'm feeling. And, and that way there, you know, you, you get everything cleared off, of you, cleared off of yourself. So you, in, internally you're emotionally stable and you'll have a much better sleep. Yeah. And sleep, sleep is so important. So, so important. It's like a super, a super power, right? For us. The, uh, the thing I love about taking the time for yourself and especially in society nowadays, we're not big on, uh, moving at a slower pace. We live, we lead very busy lives. We tend to forget that we also need time to decompress and I mean, the recipe for trying to find success through some of the mental health challenges that you can go through in life is actually quite simple. Uh, but it usually includes, like you said, taking that time, etching out a portion of your day so that one, you can, you can sit in silence and just kind of reflect and not be distracted and not look outwardly, but look inwardly as to where am I? How do I need to be my own doctor here and check in with myself? Where am I? How much emotion am I feeling? Because if it's not, then there's an issue there and I need to work on that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, how how do I need to approach my own health? And that, we lose that ability in life with the stresses of life, with work, with relationships, with all the distractions. And I loved how you talked about TV because, I mean, this is the same thing too with cell phones. Cell phones are incredibly distracting. You know, how many times do you grab it at home, right, and you just zone out or tune into what's going on on the social media or the phone or whatever. So etching out that time is incredibly important, and I'm glad you actually touched on that. Now, are there any other things in your life that you are looking to, uh, as far as the self-care routine may go, that you're not quite there, but you'd love to explore? Uh, what, what does growth for you, and I guess this is the root of the issue, but, or the root of the question, but what does growth look to, like to you now from this place moving forward? Yeah, that's an interesting question because, I mean, it's still, still kind of a day-by-day -day type thing because of, you know, the... I don't know, the ability that I, that I can think about it. I, I, you know, during my, my therapy sessions, I developed some smart goals, which um, I've got two of them done and I've got one more left to do. Um, naming, namely was, was one, one of my smart goals was to compete because I needed to compete. I needed to finish off what I started so that I could feel whole. And I did that. My second one was to get into a different career, which was 
it's done. I'm, I'm there now and I'm working through it. My third one is actually to have a piece of memorabilia uh, about my whole situation, uh, which is going to be a tattoo on my bicep, which is going to extremely reflect the situation that I was in. So that way there, every day I get up, try to be mindful. All I got to do is look at that tattoo and I can see exactly where I was and what I need to do to never go back to that state again. So that it's extremely important for me in my recovery right now is to get that done. So I'm just waiting for that one, that one piece to be done. And then I think from there on in, that's when I'll be able to say, okay, what's next? What are, what are my next few smart goals that I want to do step by step by step to slowly increase and go forward? So I try not to grab as much as possible. I got those three. Those are the three that I need to get done. Once I can get those done, then do the next ones. And the re- I guess the reason I asked the question too is it's really important in this journey to not to not think too far down the road because this really is a a slow process where baby steps are needed in order to really kind of uh, as you take your next step ensure that you can stay at that level and then continue on to take your next step and I think a lot of times too even in my own mental health journey earlier on I would set these ambitious goals that were just so unachievable and so so far rooted in the future and there were so many things that had to happen before I even got there with my own health and it wasn't until I finally learned that really it's a baby steps approach that wins this battle that I finally started to see myself really starting to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, how many years did it take for this situation to occur to you? I mean, you can expect that many years to heal from it. I love that argument. I love that argument. When I first went off on stress leave from the Mounties, there was a lot of people that were like, oh, you'll be off for a year and you'll be good. And I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm like a year. I'm like, I went through like over a decade of trauma, not to mention all this other stuff. And I was like, could you raise the argument that because of the, you know, 10 years or 17 years for you, for example, it's going to take that long to unwind it all to get back to a place of normalcy? Maybe, I don't know, (laughs) right? And I was just like, a year seems way too fast. And that's the other part of the journey too, is a lot of people enter into it thinking and holding maybe guilt or shame over the fact that there's this expectation that in six months or a year, you're going to be good. Yeah, no, it's not reasonable at all. The one thing I love about your story, and this has to happen with all of us, is we have to eventually somewhere along the line be willing to reach out and to be vulnerable. To finally be vulnerable and to paint a picture as to what the hell we're actually going through uh, because you unfortunately cannot save yourself when you are lost. And the beautiful thing here, and this isn't an ego stroke for myself, but you reached out for help to me and we just started talking. I am immensely proud of you Reg, for everything you've done, not only for the nursing community and for the patients that you've no doubt hopefully improved all of their lives. I'm sure you have. But the service and the sacrifice behind all of this, and there's always a cost to everything we do in life. And that's the other thing I'm starting to see through the podcast is everybody that does this first responder stuff is very much a cost. And the fact that you were able to endure the cost of serving the way you have falling apart, but being able to realize that you need to get help and have that vulnerability component. Because at times when we go through this, we just completely shut down and we just stop being vulnerable. We stop showing who we are. We stop connecting with the people around us and it manifests in all different areas of our life. The vulnerability for you, how do you approach vulnerability now? You know, I think what it is, I'm very direct with my vulnerabilities and I don't shy away from them. If there's something that's going on, I get right to it because I mean, my, my, my belief system is if something's going to break, we'll break it so you can fix it and get on with it. So I'm starting to utilize that, that, that concept a lot more now. So before it even breaks, I'm, I'm, I'm walking up, I'm saying, what's going on? This is what I'm feeling. You know, what, what let's talk about this and, and, and see if there's there's something that that maybe i'm mis you know misperceiving what's going on or whatever or this is how i'm feeling and i need to talk through it and i just get it out as fast as possible you know when i can for sure and and, and i mean it, it, everything seems to be so huge and so so big 
But then when you open your mouth and you say, I got a problem, all of a sudden it just dissipates. And it's not as big as what you make it out to be. It's big, it's important, but it's not as big as what you think it is. So the other, the other layer of this question that I want to kind of quickly touch on, and I'll touch on this due to my, my own experience here, and I'll see kind of where this goes with you. But I think for me, when I, cause I really struggled with also showing emotion to other people around me. Like I really struggled with crying uh, around other people. And I always, I always hid my emotions as a man for a very long time. And especially as a police officer, uh, I would never talk about it to others. And I would also never show it to others. And it wasn't until rehab when I finally sat down and someone asked me a question about something in this memory of something that was tragic and traumatic uh, it brought all of this back and I, I fought to try and show that emotion right in front of that person that was engaged in wanting to help me. And instead I did it differently and I, I let the emotion out and I just began crying hysterically. And it was like an ugly cry, like snot was coming down my nose. I was crying and I was like, just devastated. The body was shaking and I was going through just this very real human memory of something horrible that had happened to me uh, years past. And I also think vulnerability for me, I don't know if you agree with this. And I mean, you have to be very careful on who you do this with. But there's a layer of vulnerability too within men and we tend to shy away from showing our emotion to others. It doesn't always have to be, you know, we're probably quite comfortable with showing our anger to others. Yep. Right? Oh yeah. Or happiness. But how do we show sadness? How do we show pain? How do we show the suffering? How do we actually lean into it? crying is probably the most strongest thing a man could ever do it it is healing it is it is empowering and it is so strong because you're able to be your genuine self because the the, these are emotions that that are in you that this is what we are if we were not supposed to use them we would never have them but of course, as we grow up, we're never shown how to use these ones appropriately. We're shown happiness, we're shown sadness, but we're not shown how to show the other emotions properly. And that's one of the dysfunctions that we as males have. Um, for myself, I think, you know, showing my emotions to other people is pretty much non-existent other than my wife and to people who are close to me. Um, I think throughout my journey, it has come to the realization that I have major trust issues. Um, and with that comes the limitations of my ability to be forthcoming to certain individuals. So, I mean, it's a very small group that is actually going to see me in an emotional state. Um, and, I, and I think that's, that's okay because I have that avenue where I can go and I can utilize these emotions and, be, and feel safe. Because you have to feel safe. If you don't feel safe, you're not going to do it no matter what anybody says. And that's the reality of it. So, I mean, you, you do have to be very, very careful in these situations, uh, you know, for your own self, not, not for expressing to anybody else, because really, if you're going to cry, you need to cry. Who cares who's out there? This is for you. But again, how you perceive that episode, how you reflect back on yourself and how you feel about yourself, that's the important aspect. So, I mean, you've got to be careful and very, you know, judgmental in that, that, that area. So for sure. I mean, for myself, like I said, very small uh, cluster of people that will actually see me emotional, but they see me emotional more than they see me happy and mad and, and, and everything else. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a balance in that respect. And I think too, like <clears throat> as I reflect on my own upbringing, uh, and I think I think hopefully this this message resonates with a lot of men, and I'm sure it will. the The emotional intelligence that we're we're given as young boys uh, that you know we later carry on with us into adult life and into relationships, uh, I think needs to be deeper. Uh, and there needs to be a lot more, a lot more growth in that space. And it wasn't until 
for me personally, when I finally went through everything I went through, that I finally recognized that I don't need to run from my emotions. I don't need to hide them. I can show them. And I'm not, you and I are not talking about going to the grocery store at Save On in aisle two and having a nervous breakdown and crying and, you know, not being able to pick up the peanut butter and somebody help me. We don't need to go there. No. But in order to connect with the emotion and have that true vulnerability, you also have to be prepared to feel it and to feel it in front of someone. Yes. And that can be so complex. And it wasn't until uh, I really learned that lesson in life where I now started to almost like training. You start to lift the weights and you start to, you know, get the muscle memory and stuff. And then you no longer have to think about it and you can allow the emotion to happen. And then you can keep your cool and talk about it and talk through it and feel it and express yourself uh, as a man. And men, I see so many men suffer from this. It's amazing, isn't it? It's so many amazing. Men. I mean, in the, in the, in the, the field, my, my forensic uh, field that I worked into, I mean, my, my areas is, is, is I was actually young, younger people who had emotional dysregulation. And honestly, all I saw was a bunch of young men who were never shown and did not know how to express their emotions properly. And like you said, it came out in rage or it came out in happiness and that's all they had. You know, they stub their toe and it hurts them. They get mad and they punch something. Well, that that's an incongruent response. You should be saying, ow, that hurts. Sit down and relax instead of punching something, right? I mean, it's that go-to response because you're conditioned to do it. And to try to condition them to other things, it, it, it's a long journey. And that's the same for us. Yeah, and unfortunately, too, for a lot of first responders, and I, I think I've seen enough men uh, in the field, and I, I don't know if you can agree with this, but you've probably seen enough men as even first responders go through this, too. They start to struggle with their emotions because the, the burden becomes so big. So this is not just limited to men in general. This can be, you know, something that someone goes through as a first responder. This can be a child that hasn't been taught properly on how to deal with uh, their own emotions or how to have some kind of emotional intelligence behind them. Uh, so, and again, these are, these are talking points that I've experienced and you've experienced to some degree. So this is just open conversation now about, you know, the world needs to get better at this whole balancing act of, yes, there's a physicality to us, but there's also a very deep and uh, rooted emotional being to us. And we need to get ready to, change maybe or at least look at how we our relationship with our emotions and how we deal with them and what is our emotional intelligence right so again the people that listen to this uh there's so many of them that are on this journey and they're starting to figure out you know what do their emotions look like how do they show them to others how do they talk about it how do they have more depth than just anger or happiness and they don't live in guilt and shame for the other emotions that they may experience and yeah it's to me, it's a fascinating topic because I'm still going through it today. I still have a hard time showing my emotions, but I've learned the lesson that I have to in order to stay balanced and healthy and, and all those beautiful things. Reg, this has been a phenomenal interview. Thank you. And I wouldn't even call it an interview. It's more of a connection, just a, a fireside chat with someone who's been through uh, some of the lovely things that happen in life. I wanted to take a quick moment again. It mean, I, I will always thank you for what you do. I think I, I don't think thanking someone for their service or their sacrifice is limited to just police officers or firefighters or whatever. I believe that anyone that serves the community in any way, especially when it comes to like mental health, they're just such a unique, beautiful person. And I wanted to say thank you for all the years uh, that you've committed to to doing this and being a part of this and, and continuing to move forward and continuing to help people in some way. Uh, I think you're going to continue to flourish in life uh, and life is just going to get better for you. And I'm honored that you popped on today to share your story. Well, I mean, I, I don't think I, I would I'd have passed up this opportunity because, I mean, look at yourself. I mean, look at what you've been through. Look at what you've done. And look what you're doing now. You're, you're pretty much doing the same thing that I'm doing, right? I mean, and, 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 this, and this is so fantastic for everybody because this is how the world is going to change. This is how it's going to get us through education, through acknowledgement, and, and through understanding of what's going on so that we can get it out to the people and say, hey, 
it doesn't have to be that way. So, I mean, honestly, I'm proud of you for what you've done. I mean, I absolutely appreciate everything that you've done for me. I mean, forever, forever in my heart. The emotion that I have now, <laughs> I'm crying. And yeah, I'm just about there too. So I, I'm, I'm thankful that you had the trust in me to reach out. I think, I think we have that commonality. We, we, we do. There, there was always something between you and I. I could, I could always see it. I could, there was some type of bond, some type of understanding. And I mean, I've always had that feeling of, I can trust this guy. Yeah. So I've always had that. That's never been, never not been there. So I have, you know, that's been, that, that, that was an easy part for me. Your, your story moving beyond our own emotions right now is man. And I mean, I, I can, and the funny thing too is, is with, with these emotions, I have to be careful because this is the other thing I've learned is to not suppress it and to not walk away from it and to let it run its course. So even in this moment, while I'm talking, I'm still tapped into the emotion and I'm still kind of just letting it kind of feel good, right? Good yep, tears, happy straight. tears, right? <laughs> And because uh, so for, for so many years, I ran from my emotions. And if I if I felt something different than anger or happiness, I'd, I'd feel it for a bit, but then I'd shut it down and move on to the next thing and just try to can it and put a lid on it, right? Very common yeah. thing that we do. Um, but that emotion, I mean, and that's the beauty of connection. Uh, how how we can how we can deal with our own issues uh, is very simple. It's a very simple recipe. It's you got to be connected to people. Yes, hundred percent. That we are social creatures, and that is just something you will never be able to get away from. Yeah. So that whole period of COVID and social isolation—I mean, that that hammered on people hard. That devastated. That devastated families. That devastated communities. That was just horrific. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us probably have a lot of healing to do. Now uh, we're going to wrap it up. You're a busy man. You have to go continue to save the world in Alberta. <laughs> um, I, uh, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on and giving us your perspective and the vulnerability of where your life took you over time. There's no shame in where this takes you. I think where the shame can come in is where we don't acknowledge what we've gone through and we never get to a place where we can approach vulnerability and get the help that we deserve. If you would have stayed in that place, uh, Reg, my heart would have broke for you because things, things could have got significantly worse. We, we can talk about divorce. We can talk about oh. all the different things that can come from that place. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, even addiction, uh, I, I, I'm not saying you would have, but if you go on long enough, the pain and the suffering can get to a point where you no longer can cope and you need something different. So absolutely. Yeah. It, it's such an unfortunate thing that happens in life. And my, my perspective now about things that people go through has shifted to such a different place. Uh, so thank you for coming on and showing us how you went through this and what you did in order to, Take that first step forward. Uh, I think in the future, I think there is going to be so many different further layers to you of growth and just significant change within you. And I couldn't be more honored to to see that happen as family. I absolutely appreciate your acceptance of me. I mean, that that, that is such a huge thing for, I think, people of our stature and, 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 and situation. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I will be there for whatever you need and, and I'll keep you updated on, on a lot of things that are transpiring with me for sure. Stay well, my friend. You too. Thank you for joining us on season two. If you are a first responder with an incredible story into post-traumatic stress, please reach out and connect with myself. Season two is based on your story. And if you want to step up to the plate and share your story with the world, I would be more than honored to help you do that. Thank you for your continued support with this project, and thank you for tuning in today.